0: Today we'll speak about the benefits of studying Dhamma or practicing Dhamma, as we are trying to do here. For ease, we will divide our practice into three stages. The first is the beginning, the starting point, Then there is the walking or following or following of the path. And then there is the realization of the goal of the path. There is the question, why were we born or why were you born? please scrutinize this question carefully. In fact, the question, why were you born, may not be so important. This is because for most of us, we, we probably had no intention To be born. It wasn't our intention to be born. And so it's not really our responsibility. And in fact, none of us really have much of an idea why we were born. But whether we intended it or not, depending on our mothers and fathers, we were born. The question of why we were born, we could just as well put aside. But then we're still left with the most important question of, now that we're born, what are we going to do? Once we have been born, what is the purpose and meaning of our life? So then... Now that we are born, now that we are here, we must consider carefully and start to understand the questions. Now that we are here, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? Even if we didn't intend to be born, what are we going to do so that this life is not going to be full of Dukkha? What are we going to do so that this life isn't just a waste or a failure, so that we end, so that we end in suicide or mental illness or tragedy? So now that we're here, where are we going? How are we going to get there? This is a most important question for all of us who are yet alive. In short, we have our goal and we must travel to get there. Therefore, there is the starting point for our traveling. There is the the traveling itself, and there is the realization of the goal. We begin by knowing the Buddha, by understanding the Buddha. If we speak in Buddhist terms, we say, knowing the Buddha, which has three levels of meaning. There is the historical Buddha, the Buddha who is was a person who you've all read about in the books. This is the first Buddha. the this Buddha will help us to know the second Buddha, the Buddha who is not a person, the Buddha which is not a person, which is not historical or trapped within the limits of time. We call this Buddha the the Dhamma Buddha, the Buddha of Dhamma. Then there is the third Buddha, the Buddha nature, the seed or state of Buddhahood within each of us. This is that potential in all of us, which is being, which is preparing to be Buddha. So there are these three Buddhas to know. The historical Buddha, who helps us to know the Dhamma Buddha. The Dhamma Buddha, which was never born never died, never lived in India. And then the seed of Buddha nature in each of us, which is preparing, is in preparation to become Buddha. Many people have read the books about the Buddha's life. There are quite a number of them. and. Most people, when they've read these stories of the Buddha's life, they think that they know the Buddha. However, this is the feeling of someone who doesn't yet know the way things are. This kind of knowing the Buddha really has no, isn't really the essential issue of Buddhism. But this personal historical Buddha helps us to know the Dhamma Buddha, that which the historical Buddha was referring to when he said, the one who sees the Dhamma sees me. Whoever sees me sees the Dhamma. This this Dhamma that which needs to be known which the way things are this is the real buddha seeing and knowing the buddha means knowing this central truth at the heart of buddhism this is when one really knows the buddha it's not sufficient to read some books or hear the stories about the the life of the historical Buddha in India 2,600 years ago. To really know the Buddha, one must know the Dhamma. The words life of the Buddha clearly indicate what we're trying to express here. Life of the Buddha is two things. It's not just one thing. There is the life and there is the Buddha. And these two things are not the same. When we speak of life or the life, we're talking about a certain story, series of events, a narrative, beginning with a birth and ending with a death of a person, a man, Who was called the Buddha. This life is a narrative in time which is not the same as the Buddha. The Buddha is not just this series of events of a man walking, being born in India, and all the things that happened to him. We should be careful to understand the full meaning of the words, the life of the Buddha, and see what the difference is. So by life, we mean a series of events, the narrative of a certain person within time and space. But when we speak of the Buddha, We're not talking about such a series of events or a narrative. The Buddha is a quality. The Buddha is characteristics, is a characteristic. It's not some psychophysical process. Buddha is a quality, an essence in, in nature which reveals the truth. The Buddha is, is that quality that reveals the truth. The Buddha, the man, the man who we call the Buddha, himself said the very important words, whoever sees the Dhamma sees me, whoever sees me sees the Dhamma. And elsewhere he said, Whoever sees dependent origination sees the Dhamma. Whoever sees the Dhamma sees dependent origination. What this means is that the Buddha is anything that demonstrates, shows, indicates, points to, reveals the profound truth of dependent origination anything that reveals that shows dependent origination that is the essence the true meaning of buddha in in short please understand that seeing the dhamma means seeing the buddha We don't see or know the Buddha until we see the Dhamma. And seeing the Dhamma means, it doesn't mean reading some stuff in books. Seeing the Dhamma means seeing the fact, experiencing for oneself the truth of dependent origination. Seeing dependent origination, one sees the Dhamma. Seeing the Dhamma, one, sees the real Buddha. And what this means in practice is seeing, directly experiencing for oneself, the reality of dependent on various conditions. Seeing the arising of dukkha, seeing that dukkha arises dependent on various conditions. This is called conditioned arising, dependent origination, paticca samuppada. And it is also seeing that dependent on various conditions dukkha quenches. The quenching of dukkha depends on various quenchings, on various conditions. So seeing that the arising of dukkha, the quenching of dukkha happens through reliance, dependence on various causes and conditions. We call this baticca samuppada, dependent origination or dependent arising. Though, in fact, it includes the dependent quenching of dukkha. But we don't re- usually have a separate word for this. We can call it paticca-nirotha, but this is a word we made up ourselves. It's not a word that most Buddhists are familiar with. So what we just bring this up to point out that When we, to really understand the truth of dependent origination, means not only seeing how dukkha arises out of conditions, but seeing also how dukkha quenches due to conditions. This is what it is to see the Dhamma, to see the Buddha. Although we use the word quenching or sometimes seizing, cessation, one must understand that this quenching arises. This quenching of dukkha arises, it appears, it manifests. So when we say dependent arising, it includes the arising of quenching. Quenching is something that happens it's a, re- a reality that appears or arises. So when we speak of arising, of origination, we should understand that this is both the origination of dukkha as well as the origination of the quenching of dukkha. The meaning of the word arising, of originating, is is vast one should not understand it in a limited way the problem is really in language words and language are always difficult and tricky there it's always easy to misunderstand and confuse things this is the nature of all languages even even our mother tongues. When a fire, a fire appears or is lit, and then the fire is put out or quenched, and so we think these are totally opposite. The fire is lit, the fire is put out. These seem to be totally different things. But if we look more deeply, the lighting, the igniting of the fire and the putting out of the fire, both of these are arisings. Both of these are occurrences of reality. So we can speak of both of them as arising. And the same is true when we speak of dukkha. When dukkha is ignited by various conditions, such as attachment, that's the arising of dukkha. And when dukkha is put out because the fuel is taken away, this quenching of dukkha is the arising of the quenching of dukkha, the truth, is the same in both cases. We're not talking about two different truths. It's the one truth of dependent arising. To know the Buddha, one also must know the relationship between the three Buddhas. The historical Buddha, Gautama Buddha, helps us to know the real Buddha, the The Dhamma Buddha, we've just been talking about. And this Dhamma Buddha, the eternal Buddha, helps us to see the seeds of Buddha, the Buddha nature, which is preparing to blossom fully into as a Buddha to know the buddha we should we must also see how these three go together how they're interrelated when we see dependent origination when we see this fact we realize that hey this this is within us this dhamma this dhamma buddha is within each of is within me within every for and and cell of this body and mind we see that it may be just a seed the seed of of buddha the buddha seed that's just a seed or maybe it is a sprout maybe it has begun to sprout but it's not yet a tree a fully mature tree. But we see that this seed or sprout is, an, is in us. We see that this is the preparation Buddha, the preparing Buddha, which if, if developed and cared for, grows and becomes the real Buddha, a fully mature buddha at a minimum while you're here for this 10-day course you ought to examine yourself test yourself to see whether whether this third buddha is still just a seed Is it just a seed which is still lying dormant? Or has it sprouted yet? Is the preparation Buddha in you? Has, is it sprouted yet? For at a minimum, to use our time here in a worthwhile way, we should discover for ourselves whether this Buddha nature in us is still just a seed lying there waiting for things to happen? Or has it actually sprouted and is beginning to truly practice and prepare, develop? Or has, in fact, this seed grown into a tree, a strong, vigorous Buddha tree? This is something for each of us to examine in ourselves. So this is the starting point, knowing these three Buddhas, as we have discussed. Once we know them sufficiently, then we begin to travel, our journey begins. here when we speak of traveling or the journey we mean practicing anapanasati mindfulness with breathing this is what we mean here by the journey what what exactly does this journey entail what does this journey mean you've already heard Many times, that the basic principle of practice in Buddhism is sila, the natural morality in harmony with one's surroundings, samadhi, meditation, developing the mind, and panya, wisdom, understanding things as they really are. The path. is the integration of these three components of sila, samadhi, and panya. But many people fail to recognize how mindfulness with breathing is all three of these. And so this, this requires some consideration so that we are not confused by this, by this matter. Another thing with which you are very familiar is what we call the Noble Eightfold Path. But unless you know the Noble Eightfold Path thoroughly and profoundly, then you may wonder what the Noble Eightfold Path has to do with mindfulness, with breathing. You won't be able to see that the Noble Eightfold Path is in anapanasati. So regarding morality, samādhi, and wisdom, as well as the Noble Eightfold Path, we must develop a proper understanding of this in relation to mindfulness with breathing. Here sila means calm or calmness. Sila is calmness of body and speech and, of course, even mind. Sila is calmness of body and speech. This means the ability to restrain our bodies and speech so that they are calm. The ability to do this is called sila. In anapanasati, we have this ability to restrain our bodies, our speech, so that they are truly peaceful. To put it directly, if there's no sila, we can't practice anapanasati. If our bodies in speech are not calm, then there's no way we can do anapanasati. If we've been living life without morality, then we will not have calm bodies and calm speech. But if we are able to practice anapanasati, then we are able to restrain our bodies and speech so that they are calm. Therefore, sila is inherent in anapanasati there's one doesn't really practice it even in the beginning stages there is if we practice correctly there is this peacefulness of body and speech thus sila is is inherent in mindfulness with breathing the meaning of samadhi is the mind is focused on one object or a thing this this firm focus of the mind is what we mean by samadhi and there's one place where this is defined this is defined very clearly that samādhi is the ekākatā jītā, the mind that has this single focus, the mind with this single focus. Samādhi is ekākatā jītā that has nibbāna as its object. When the mind is focused on one, just one thing, and that one thing is nibbāna, is the perfect peace, where there is no dukkha that is the essence that is the true meaning of samadhi the buddha pointed out the three qualities of the three qualities of samadhi this mind with samadhi is pure or it's clean. The mind is collected together and focused, firmly focused. And this mind is active in performing its duty. It's totally ready. There is perfect activity in doing its, its duty. These are the three qualities of, of real samadhi. This, this word active here is very ancient. It's been used since, way bef- since even before the Buddha's time. It's very important in this context. When we say active, we mean that the mind is ready. It's fully ready to do what it must do. This mind is agile, nimble, flexible. So that it it can do what has to be done. This perfect readiness, this preparedness, this agility, this nimbleness, sensitivity is what is meant by kamania, kamanina, kamaniya, the activeness of the mind. This is the the essential quality. Of samadhi, this mind that is active. Through practice, one sees that obviously samadhi is there throughout the entire line of practice of anapanasati. Next, we will consider how panya, how wisdom, seeing things clearly, is included in mindfulness with breathing wisdom panya or understanding starts with looking we we really are beginning when we look we look at ourselves by ourselves within ourselves we look at ourselves within ourselves by ourselves until we see we see ourselves when when we see 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 more and more deeply what we really are this leads to knowing knowing in in an intuitive way not in a verbal talkative way this knowing when we really know we analyze we investigate this knowing we scrutinize this knowing until it's known thoroughly. And then what we need to do, what we must practice, becomes clearer and clearer. This is what it means, this is what wisdom is. Looking, seeing, knowing, and then analyzing that till one knows what to practice. And then we practice And then the results of practice occur. And the true fruits of practice, knowing that, is the final aspect of wisdom. Panya then begins with looking. Until we know how to look, we we have no wisdom. But then from looking, we begin to see. Seeing leads to knowing. When there is knowing, that can be thoroughly investigated, analyzed, scrutinized, until we know what and how to practice. Know how to practice means practicing. And then there arise the the true fruits of practice. Knowing, understanding all of this, seeing all of this clearly, directly for oneself, by oneself. Is the meaning of wisdom, or panya? This word in Pali, or panya, or in the Thai pronunci- pronunciation, panya, panya, has two two parts, pa and ya. Ba, ya. Ya means to know, means knowing. Pa means correct. And thorough, ba is correct and thorough, or comprehensive. So when we say panya, or we translate it as wisdom, it means correct and thorough knowing of what needs to be known, or correct, thorough, comprehensive wisdom. This is the meaning. The meaning. Here of Panya. We like to translate Panya as wisdom. This is the standard translation, and people seem quite happy with it. But whether wisdom, what wisdom means, what the meaning of this English word wisdom is, is a good question. And it's your responsibility to find out. If you want to translate panya as wisdom. One must check and see whether wisdom actually means panya. Correct, thorough, comprehensive, complete knowing. Correct and thorough understanding. That's what panya means in Pali. What wisdom means in English, you'll have to sort out for yourselves. You can see for yourselves, without believing anyone else, that throughout the entire line of practice, called anapanasati, there is sila, this calmness through restraint, samadhi, the collected, focused mind, and panya, this correct and thorough understanding. All of these are included in anapanasati from the start until the end. So it should no longer be a problem or question of how anapanasati is the path, is sila, samadhi, and panya Now we can consider for a while anapanasati in light of the Noble Eightfold Path. First, samadhiti, right view, right understanding, has induced you to practice anapanasati. Right view has pulled you into this practice. And as long as we're practicing properly, right view is always there. Next is sama sankapa, which must be translated right aspiration. This means right that our wants that what we want or that our intention is correct is in harmony with, with Dhamma. This right desire, this right want, this right intention or aspiration to practice anapanasati of course must be there if we are to practice as we should. Next is Waja right speech. Most people realize that in meditation we're not speaking. We shouldn't be, be speaking. But if one does speak for some reason, that's, if one does speak, that speech will be correct, will be appropriate. Or, although we may not speak outwardly, if we are speaking inside, if we speak within the mind, then that speech will be correct. It will be Peaceful. It will be useful. It won't create any any problems. Next is samagamanta, right action. Anapanasati itself is about as right as an action can be. To practice anapanasati is in itself right action. Action for the sake of quenching dukkha, or if one has anapanasati and one acts in other ways, then that that whatever action it will be, will be correct. If one really has anapanasati in acting, then the action will always be for the sake of ending dukkha. Our actions will not create more dukkha. So, in anapanasati, there is always right action. Next is Achiwa, which is usually translated right livelihood. But please don't, please don't understand sama in a in a narrow way. Many people think this just means our mean the way we earn a living our job, our profession, the way we feed our stomachs and earn money. This is a far too narrow understanding of sama achiwa. It It really means right maintenance of life. It's the way we establish and maintain our lives. All the things we do to maintain life, to continue life. This is what is meant by right livelihood or sama It's not just one's job or one's profession. When there is anapanasati, then everything we do to maintain life is correct. There won't be... We won't do anything that exploits or oppresses others, our own bodies, or whatever. When so in Anapanasati we are maintaining we're already doing something very wonderful for maintaining life. And any other things we actions or things we do to maintain life that come from anapanasati will be correct, will be nonviolent, non oppressive. Next is sama wayama or right effort to try to persevere correctly. But this, this right effort ought to include the word struggle. It means the right struggle of life to always move forward, to develop itself higher and higher, this struggle to evolve on to more highly, more perfectly, towards the goal of life. This is what we should mean by sama Wayama. It includes daring, to, to dare to do what, to try, to dare to do what needs to be done. This daring to struggle, to, to always try to move forward in this struggle of life. This, to do so rightly, is part of anapanasati. Anapanasati is a very powerful way to, to struggle to always move forward in life. So when there is anapanasati, there is this right struggle of right effort. Next is samasati. Samasati right mindfulness which we really don't have to explain at all it's obvious that anapanasati is samasati itself when in samasati is to to govern the mind so that it is always attentive the mind is always present correctly to what is to what needs to be attended to, always attending to life itself, always being fully present, aware. This samasati is anapanasati itself, on, in all levels, from every possible angle of samasati. We find it through anapanasati, mindfulness with breathing. The eighth aspect of the path is sama-samādhi, sama-samādhi, right concentration. Concentration here is the the mind that is focused and rightly established. It's rightly established, it's firm, it's secure. This mind that has been established and secured is what we mean by sama-samādhi. When there is this right focus and this right security, securing of mind, then the mind continually sees things more and more clearly, sees things more and more as they really are. This The mind develops, progresses in seeing things as they are. We could say that the mind progressively sees the Buddha, The personal Buddha, the Dhamma Buddha, and then the Buddha nature sees this more and more deeply, more and more thoroughly, more and more correctly. This is what happens when there is sama samadhi. One most important thing to understand is that this Eightfold Path is One. It's one single path. What this means, it's when we speak of eight factors or eight folds, we don't mean that these are eight things. These are not eight separate things. It's one thing with eight aspects or this one thing has these eight factors, these eight folds within it. This means that our practice must encompass all eight of these factors but they must be brought together integrated harmonized as one as long as we see them as eight factors we haven't really seen the path the path is one it's one path leading to one goal practiced by one one person this single path leading to the single goal of a single practitioner. It's all one. You can't separate these things. And until it's one, we haven't really understood the path. So this, this one path, all eight aspects of this one path are there in anapanasati. So this... These are the things we need to understand about how anapanasati and the path are the same. Now, if eight meant eight paths, that there, if there were eight things, that means there were eight paths. And it's impossible to walk all eight paths at once. So, obviously, if we think of eight different things, it's impossible to do them all. But if it's one path where these eight come together, where these eight, they never were separate anyway, unless we're confused. But when the eight are together as one path, that is something we can walk, we can follow, we can practice. So whether we speak of it in terms of the three Sikha, the three trainings of sila, samadhi, and banya, or we speak of the Noble Eightfold Path. It's not the name that's important. What matters is that we can practice it, that it's real. And if it's real, we can do it. We can travel this path, and it will take us to, to the goal. The important thing is that we can practice it, that it is practical. It's quite a pity that in Thailand, this this very Thailand, we still hear this explained incorrectly. We very frequently hear the words mak bad or mak maga path, bad eight. The eight paths. Over and over again, we hear people saying eight paths, eight paths, which is a terrible, is just to butcher the, the poly meaning, which is literally and clearly one path with eight factors, one path with eight folds. So we can call it the eight-factored path the eight-fold path. Please remember these words correctly. It should never be eight paths or three paths or even two. It's one path with eight factors, eight folds, eight aspects. Now we come to the third thing, arriving. There are three. There's starting, there's traveling, and then arriving. Now we'll consider to what, to what or in what do we arrive? What is the arriving here? In arriving, there are various benefits. These benefits are of two kinds. There are worldly benefits and transcendent benefits. By worldly benefits, we mean benefits for living in this world, for dealing with the worldly situations of this world. To be able to do that without, that is one benefit or one sort of benefit. And then there is the Transcendent benefit. Transcendent means to go beyond, to be above, beyond the world. The transcendent benefits are to not have any problems regarding this world. To be beyond the world means that nothing in the world is a problem for us. So in arriving, we receive both kinds of benefits. Arriving at these worldly benefits, being able to live in this world, and arriving at the transcendent benefits of being above any problem regarding the world. In Thai, the words are very simple. Nailog, in, in world, and log above world. It's very simple. In English, we've seen that they have the words mundane and super-mundane or ultra mundane, which is, which comes from Latin, and of course the literal meaning is exactly the same. In Pali it's log, log logia, in world, or having to do with the world, regarding the world, and log utara uttara means above, beyond. So exactly the same meaning as supramundane. One, there are these both kinds of benefits. The mundane benefits of being to live in this world without any problems. All problems regarding living in this world are, are finished, are taken care of. And the supramundane the or loguttara benefits are there. There are no more problems about being above the world. So all of these are the benefits of arriving at the goal. This point we can summarize by returning to the question we brought up at the beginning. Why were you born? For what purpose were you born? If one has realized these worldly and transcendent benefits then one has one will be able to answer this question immediately or we will emphasize that the the real question is now that we're born here we are born into this world now that we're born what are we going to do the answer to this will be obvious We'll have no doubts about this. How to respond when we have arrived at both the mundane and supermundane benefits? Anapanasati is the path we travel. When we have traveled it all the way, then we arrive at these benefits, and then we know what we are doing here, what this life is for. Now we'll look in some detail at what these benefits mean. First, on the worldly level. In terms of worldly things, our studies, all of us, especially when young, undergo studies. There are no more problems regarding our studies. We can undergo them and succeed in them. Then we we have the work of our lives. All of us have some function to perform for the benefit of society. We can perform this work without any problems. Then all the other duties and responsibilities of worldly life, families, friends, communities, all the duties we must perform in ordinary life. There won't be any problems in doing so. These are the worldly benefits that we carry out and successfully fulfill our studies, our work, and all the duties and responsibilities of our lives in this world without any problems. In ancient India, they have a very interesting word. This has a very, very surprising meaning. This word is which means, we can translate it, the business of life or commerce through life. What we mean by commerce of through life or business through life is that our lives are, an in, it's like our lives are an investment. You think of life as a business then we have this, these lives that we are given. This is our basic investment. And then we trade, we, we work, we exchange, we sell and buy and trade and all that so that we're constantly getting a return from our investment so that this life is growing and developing always until we, we develop this life as far as we can. All of us have been given these lives by nature. All of us have these lives. And we can invest our lives. And then in order to get the maximum return, to get the most out of life that is possible, this is what is meant by the commerce through life or business of life. chiwita sangwohara to invest one's life in the best possible way in order to get the most that is possible from our life. To put it a little more directly, it's, we have been, nature has given us life as a, a basic stake or investment. Or you can say God has given us life as a, uh, as an in, in the form of an investment. When we are born, these lives that we are given are not yet profits. Don't, we don't see life as just some profit we have been handed. But life is the basic investment. And then it's up to us to invest life properly, to take this investment and make the most of it. This is the, this is what we're here for. Or at least this is, we've been given this basic stakes, this basic capital. And now it's up to us whether we invest it or not, and whether we invest it properly. If we don't invest this basic capital, then there's no way we'll make any profit for life. We just get some capital and then that's all. And if we go through life without investing properly, without this commerce or business of life being developed, then, then there's no profit in life, which is the same as saying we've wasted our life. We haven't really gotten anything out of this basic capital so, the thing to do, of course, is to make the most of this capital, to invest it, to reinvestment, to trade, to, to do business, until we've increased our original stake as much as we can. To do this, we, we need, we practice Dhamma. To make the most on this is to practice Dhamma, as we have been discussing all along. We hope that you are very successful in this business of life so that you get the most profit from life. All of of that has to do with the worldly benefits of the path. Now let's look at the transcendent, uh, the logutara aspects. This is easy to see just by taking the word lo gutara, to be beyond the world. What is it? Just think about the meaning to be beyond the world, above the world. This is to be above all the problems of the world. There's nothing in this world that is a problem for us anymore. There's just none of the The old problems are problems anymore. The world cannot be a problem in any way for us. This is what it means to be above the world, beyond the world, to be beyond all the problems of the world. Or We can use some words that are a little more modern, the term materialism and the term spiritualism. We've already looked at the materialistic benefits, the worldly benefits, but then there are the spiritual, the the spiritualistic benefits, which, and we should receive these abundantly on the highest possible level. So we'll give this some more consideration we can say that in this world there are just, there is just the positive and the negative. Everything in the world comes down to the positive and the negative. The positive makes us laugh and the negative makes us cry. When our minds are still caught in the world, then we're laughing, and crying, laughing, and crying endlessly. Our life is just laughing and crying, laughing and crying. But when we're above the world, beyond the world, then we don't have to laugh and we don't have to cry. We're free of all this laughing and crying, laughing and crying. This is the highest spiritual benefit In terms of the mind, this is the supreme benefit, not having to laugh and cry all the time. The world is positive and negative for us. For us, the world is positive and negative. And this is the reason for all the struggles all the busyness, all the confusion, all the problems, all the hassles of our lives. But there is a way, there is a method, a means to end, to make the world, to remove the positive and negative from the world, to free the world and ourselves from positive and negative this this means would take us a few more hours to explain so we'll we'll save that for some other time but we want to point out to you that there is a way to be free of positive and negative so it has no more power over us we hope that you will be interested in a life that is beyond positive and negative, totally liberated from, emancipated from positive and negative. The word free has no meaning. There's no such thing as freedom until one is free of positive and negative. This is the only true freedom in this world. We hope that this is something you are interested in. If you're interested in being beyond positive and negative in the highest spiritual benefit, then one will be able to start the journey. One will be able to make the journey. And eventually one will will arrive to this highest benefit to be free of positive and negative. We hope this is something of of genuine interest to you all. In Buddhism we have a fundamental principle to study to lead us ever forward in, in life. This is the principle of nibbana or coolness. Now when we when we investigate Nibbana there are two two aspects of Nibbana that we can look into. The first we we won't speak explain this technically or literally, but we'll get to the essential meaning. The first kind is where the the coolness, where there's Where there is still positive and negative, where things are still positive and negative for you. But this positive and negative can't do anything to you. Things are still positive and negative, but it can't, that can't do anything to you. This is, one is, the positive and negative are no problems for you. This is, one level of nibbana. Then there is the nibbana where there's no positive and negative at all, where one is totally free of positive and negative. This is an important principle to, to study. There's the nibbana, the coolness, where positive and negative can't do anything to you. And there's a Nibbāna where there's no positive and negative at all. Think about that. Go into that. See how, how marvelous, how wonderful that that would be, where there's no more positive and negative. Please consider this deeply. There's one extra little point to make that when we speak on the loguttara, the transcendent level, things are quite a bit different. They're the opposite of how things seem on on the worldly plane. Our worldly perspectives look at things one way, but when we look from the transcendent level or perspective, it's the opposite. So when we talk of Arriving, It means you don't have to go anywhere. The arriving we've been speaking of doesn't mean you've had to go someplace. Or when we talk of going, it doesn't mean you need to walk. It's not like you have to go from here to there. Arriving doesn't require going. Or if we talk about Traveling, it doesn't mean moving someplace else. This is how it works on the the above the world level, <clears throat> or not? It's not a level. <laughs> it's just when things are above the world, that's how it turns out. What this means is that instead of the going, the, the walking, the travel is not moving our bodies from one place to another. One just stays right here, but uses Dhamma to overcome ignorance. The not knowing, the not understanding things as we, they are, or even the foolishness that we accumulate, we get rid of that through Dhamma. We use dhamma especially, anapanasati, to let go of all the ignorance, confusion, foolishness, stupidity. When there's no avicca, no ignorance, when all misunderstanding, all lack of understanding has been released, then you don't have to go anywhere. Nibbāna will come all by itself. You don't have to go looking for Nibbāna. All you Nibbāna will find you when there is nothing blocking it. The only reason Nibbāna can't find you is because there's something in its way. Remove that something. Remove that something and Nibbāna will find you immediately. See, on the transcendent level, this is how things work. You don't have to go anywhere. The arriving isn't a moving. You've already arrived. It's just a matter of... (laughs) We can summarize the discussion by saying that we will have a life which is cool and useful. The life will be cool and beneficial. This is the, this is the result of, the, of practice. Notice that there are two things. One, life is cool. There are no more problems for this life. But just being cool, what, that doesn't do much good. But when the result is also that this life is of great benefit for everyone. If life isn't of use to anyone, then, then what good is it? But when life is cool, it can also be of the highest benefit can be most useful for all sides, for everyone. This is what it is to arrive, when life is cool and of benefit to everyone. So there is starting and there is walking and there is arriving, arriving at the goal of a life that is cool and of of benefit all. Fools say that Buddhism is only for saving oneself. People who are quite stupid claim that Buddhism is just a way to save one's own skin, to to end one's own suffering. These are the words of someone who does not understand the facts. Buddhism teaches that how to save oneself, that is true. But the salvation or the liberation of Buddhism is one that benefits everyone else also. In this liberation, all others are liberated as well. So one should not look at Buddhism with prejudice or with narrow opinions. One should try to understand that the correct goal of Buddhism is not just saving one's own skin, not just freeing oneself of one's own problems. The goal of Buddhism is to liberate oneself from dukkha and to liberate all others. In short, life is cool. Life no longer bites its owner. The positive and the negative in this world don't bite the the owner of life, the one who lives. Greed, hatred, anger, fear, confusion doubt, envy, jealousy, possessiveness, worry, anxiety, guilt, boredom, excitement, none of these can bite one ever again. This is what it means to arrive at the goal. Life no longer bites its owner. We will end with a sentence which you may or may not understand, which you will probably have to investigate further. But when one has really arrived, then life no longer has an owner. Life isn't the owner of anything, nor is life owned by anything. This is, what, this is what it is all about. When life is no owner, life has no owner. This is to fully arrive in voidness, total freedom, where there's no need to laugh and to cry anymore, where nothing can own life, Nothing can be owned. Nothing is owned by life. There is just life, life that has been given by nature. This gift of the universe, life, can be, is developed to get the most out of the original investment. But there's no more owner There's nothing owned. This is what it is to arrive, to really arrive. If you don't understand now, don't worry about it. One day you will understand. If you continue investigating and practicing Dhamma as we've been as we've been considering here. Then one day you will understand. There's no need to worry about it. Just keep trying. Keep trying to practice Dhamma, and one day you will understand. Thank you all for for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you all for being such good and patient listeners.